Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Have you ever considered turning your passion into a career? Perhaps you're thinking that working with clients would create an interesting and creative environment. Maybe you married really well and need to keep busy now that you're rich. In any event, today's book may correct a few of the illusions you hold about making a profession out of woodworking. Making Things Work, Tales from a Cabinet Maker's Life by Nancy Hiller, is an eye-opening kind of book. Particularly if you've ever toyed with the idea of using your woodworking skills to provide for you and your family. At times it's hilarious, at times poignant, and maybe even a little sad. The book is filled with autobiographical anecdotes that let you inside Nancy's world. I read the book a while back and then reached out to Nancy recently and she graciously joined me for an interview on the show. That ended up being quite a costly interview for me. I now also own Kitchen Think and English Arts and Crafts Furniture as a direct result of that conversation. I'm going to try and get reviews of all three of these books up in the next month or so as they're quite different but interesting books. Think of it as Nancy Hiller Month. Hopefully there'll also be some coffee and Ruskins in between, but that's a bit ironic, given that she's a member of the Guild of St. George's, which is, well, I guess the super Ruskin followers. Subsequent to the interview, Nancy posted some pretty rough news about the diagnosis on her pancreas. I was really moved by the way she was prepared to share what are quite personal details about her struggle. If you're interested in following and supporting her, you can sign up at nrhiller.wordpress.com. She's a wonderful lady and human being, and I wish her all the best at this difficult time. Making Things Work is a book that I pegged as being autobiographical, and this is not strictly true. The book in no way tries to be a definitive autobiography of Nancy. Instead, there is an important message woven through the book, which is revealed by anecdotes from her past. At the end of the book, you will have read enough stories about her personal journey to have some broad brushstrokes about her life, and you will understand how her personal message evolved. The book is not a long read at 151 pages, and like all good plays, I guess, it's divided into three parts. It starts with the English years, which begins with a chapter called Living the Dream. The opening line is, Why, I can't think of anything in the world better than making furniture in England, said my mother's old friend. I think this is the woodworking equivalent of someone saying to a Tour de France cyclist, it must be relaxing to cycle in France for three weeks each summer. This section of the book goes back to the beginning and explains how Nancy got into cabinet making and talks to some of her key moments in choosing to progress or change direction to a degree in the craft. The second section is then called Dream On, and I think by now you'll understand that the tone of that title is not wistful and full of fairies and unicorns. A Thing Worth Making, three chapters, have some of the most important messages of the book, and possibly one of the most memorable lines I have ever read in a woodworking book. I'll quote, Nancy didn't build this cabinet for us. She built it for herself. Honey, you can masturbate to your heart's content on your own time, but you shouldn't expect your customers to pay you for it. I hope by now you are under no illusions about the style and lack of diplomacy in the messages. Say what you like, 
Nancy calls it as she sees it. The last section shows a mature cabinet maker on top of her craft, and yet there are still issues, from the predictable, that's so expensive, can't you do it cheaper than Ikea type story, to the chauvinist pig, to the impossible customer, they're all in there. By the time you've finished, I think that the fairy tale you might have imagined will be thoroughly dispelled. And yet the book is not gloomy or depressing. I think there is a message of hope in the book, but it is one that is tempered by the deep lessons and realities of choosing this type of work. It's the kind of love of something that is hard work, like a marriage, not a wedding. Sometimes the hardest lessons for us are that the world is the world as it is and not as we would want it to be. Nancy gets us across clearly. So what did I take out of the book? That's an interesting question. Often with books, I almost have this one sentence that's just burnt into my brain. And I know it's unfair to describe Gary Rogowski's exceptional book as simply, you're working on yourself, you're not working on the wood. And yet this was the message that I was left with, and it's a message I think about every time I think about the book Handmade. In a similar vein, you almost don't have to have read David Parr's book to know about the workmanship of certainty and the workmanship of risk. And yet there's a lot more in that book than just that simple line. Nancy's book had a few important messages, but there were two catchphrases that were burnt into my brain. The first is probably the easiest to discuss. She recounts how when working with another contractor, she complained about a problem, and he replied, It's all problems. For me this resonates in a way with a rite of passage I had in woodworking, and one I believe that many people will have. One day you wake up, go to work on a project, and something goes wrong. Instead of swearing and going into a bloop funk for days about how hard the hobby is, instead you look at it for a few moments, perhaps with your head tilted to the side and a slightly quizzical expression on your face. Then you say to yourself, Aha, I can fix this, and you go back to work. I've heard it said that better woodworkers don't stop making mistakes, they just make a better quality of mistake, and are far more comfortable with the ability to fix the ones that they make. It's all problems, a chapter well worth reading. Another standout was a few chapters about doing things well and doing things badly. You've probably heard the phrase, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Nancy talks about her personal journey on this, but she also extends this to a concept of, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. This is a very profound chapter and the lesson she shares about her pride and the work that she put onto a piece that was well beyond what the customer ordered, and their subsequent refusal to pay more than the original order quote, made me think a lot. Every now and then, around the house there's a project that needs doing. There was a hot summer here and I needed to make a mosquito screen so that we could leave a window open at night and not be carried away. The insects are big here in Africa. I'd been working on mortise and tenon joints at the time, and that felt like the logical way to do it. However, that would have been a week-long project for me at the time. Instead, crying inside, I used four butt joints and some screws. It took me about an hour. I stapled the metal screen on with some horrible-looking staples. No hidden fanciness here, or wonders of engineering. And for sure, no future archaeologist is going to dig this project up and marvel at the workmanship. 
And yet many authors I've read stress the importance of doing your best work all the time as a way to progress, challenging yourself at all times. I found Nancy's pragmatic approach to be a breath of fresh air. I think there's a good middle path between perfectionism and shoddy work. The message from this chapter has come back to me time and time again, and I think I'm the better for it. Now I sometimes consciously choose the level of perfection I'm going for in a piece of work. I guess in many ways, reflecting back on this year, Gary Rogowski's suggestion to build your second best piece of furniture, and Nancy's suggestion that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly, with a philosophical basis for me getting my daughter's wardrobe done. This is the value of the book to me. As the story builds, you'll meet characters you've already met in your life. Sometimes they feel like caricatures of that guy, the one we've all experienced. And I think Nancy does a wonderful job of getting to the essence of the experiences in a way that will resonate with many readers. She's able to articulate the essence of these encounters and it makes them feel like a hilarious anecdote about someone else and at the same time almost a personal story about your life. It's hard to pick an exact category for the book. Perhaps woodworking philosophy is a good choice, but there's definitely some autobiographical content in it. If you're thinking about setting up a side hassle in woodworking, this is a must read. I decided to put it into woodworking philosophy and give it a 7 out of 10. I took away a few lessons from this book that have shaped how I approach my woodwork, and I'd suggest that a non-woodworker would find it a good read purely as a series of interesting anecdotes with an underlying message and some autobiographical elements. So in conclusion, Making Things Work, Tales from a Cabinet Maker's Life is 151 pages long and is written by Nancy Hiller. You can find the book at Lost Art Press and as at December 2020, it costs $26. There's a free excerpt on the website if you want to dip your toes into the book. At the same time as I release this review, I'm releasing an interview with Nancy, which I think will give you further insights into both the author and the book. A few books come up in the interview, Kitchen Think, her latest book, and English Arts and Crafts Furniture, which was her first book. I bought both, and I'll be reviewing them in future episodes. And don't worry, after listening to the interview with her, you can be sure that I pulled the trigger on Shop Class as Soulcraft, and it's now sitting next to my bed on the pile of things to read. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, it's all problems. And keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest, or one you're considering buying that you'd like to be featured on a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. I always enjoy hearing from listeners. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes. 